0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 6. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored the boat When he got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats and wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My uh, first seminary homiletics or preaching professor, Art Halberson, told us that a preacher should always preach with a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I have pretty much kind of tried to take that to heart in my preaching career, though of course I've had to update that advice these days, a preacher must preach with a Bible in one hand and then I have my my news app in the other, but it's gotten harder lately, because it seems like back in the day most of us all kind of agreed on what the actual news actually was. Because we got our news, by and large, from the same sources, people like Walter Cronkite. And we all agreed that what Walter Cronkite was saying, by and large, was true. And then we went on to agree or disagree about what we thought we should do in light of what was true. These days, on the other hand, we all, most of us have our individual preferred news sources that are 24 hours a day streaming into our phones and our ears and our lives there Versions of the truth, and they aren't the same. I used to go to the gym in Grand Forks, and Fox News was here, and CNN was here. It was really interesting. They're not the same. First of all, in the stories they bother to tell in the first place, and, and the stories they don't tell, it's not the same. And they're not the same. Also, oftentimes not even remotely so. Even when they tell us, they are telling us the same story. It pretty much defines irony, doesn't it? We who have access to exponentially more information than previous generations could have even imagined can't meaningfully agree or disagree about what to do in light of the truth because we can't even agree what the truth is. And how do you talk to each other then? I mean, with a 2,000 mile long wall, be an effective and cost-effective and even humane way to add much-needed control to our nation's ridiculously porous southern border, or would it be a colossal waste of money and a monument to our hubris and our indifference? Let me suggest that there is a strong correlation between how you answer that question and where you get your news. And what's more, almost no matter where you get your news, there is a steady stream from left and right fringes of people who are just, it seems, unendingly angry and outraged all the time at this obviously fake news of those who disagree with them. And the rhetoric is not only brutal, it is also relentless, as it is relentlessly divisive. So, are Russian bots and trolls fertilizing the divisiveness? Well, where do you get your answer to that question? Isn't there any more, I wonder, actual news that we can all actually agree on? And isn't there any more, I wonder more and more, isn't there any good news? Once in a while, the answer is yes. A Thai boys soccer team is rescued And the world sees heroes doing the rescuing, and we cheer for them, and we cheer for the boys, and we are united, but we get over it by the next news cycle. Our lesson for today from Jeremiah reminds us, and this in its own way is kind of helpful, reminds us that this situation isn't actually as new as I've sometimes wanted to think.
1: For there may have never
0: been a more divisive time in the history of God and God's people and the churches they worshiped in and the countries they lived in than the time of the divisiveness that existed in the time of the kingdoms of the Jews, which by the times of the prophets had already divisively split and wars fought between the kingdom of Israel to the north and the Kingdom of Judah with its headquarters in Jerusalem to the south. By the way, and I am not making this up. Two of the issues that caused the split? Taxes. And what some felt was the overreach of the government into their lives. Solomon's government in particular. And though, of course, many now like to say God bless America, me too, God bless America and the separation of church and state, where preachers talk about the scriptures and stay out of matters of the state. The fact is that in the time of the biblical prophets like Jeremiah, there was was no such thing as the separation of church and state. And like it or not, Jeremiah in today's text preaching, he said The word of God that could not be left unsaid lambasts the shepherds who were over the people. And the shepherds he's speaking of specifically in these verses were their kings, their political leaders, whom he condemns with unrelentingly harsh sermons for being evil, for dividing the people that they should be uniting, and for getting rich by trampling on and ignoring the needs of the poor. And Jeremiah in no uncertain terms to these kings says, poor you, for God soon and very soon is going to give you hell to pay. In response to which the kings and their their tax supported prophets, this one reason you want separation of church and state, the king and their tax supported prophets whom Jeremiah by the way, will condemn later just as harshly as he condemned the kings. He'll go after the prophets. They said, Jeremiah, shut up. For we are the prophets and the kings chosen by God for the material riches we are rich with are proof that God is on our side. These prophets are early examples of what today we would call preachers of a prosperity gospel. A gospel which is defined by the creed that if you are materially rich, it is a sign that you are being precisely faithful. Because God is a God who blesses the truly faithful with material riches because of their faithfulness. And so the kings and their prosperity gospel preachers mocked Jeremiah. They abused him, they imprisoned him, they tortured him, they did everything short of killing him, but they couldn't shut him up. Because why? Because Jeremiah preached with a newspaper in one hand and the consuming flame of the word of God in the other, and doing so, he called out evil by name, even when the names he was naming were the names of their kings. So, no, Preacher Roger, the divisions you see around you today in the land and in the church aren't new, at least as old as Jeremiah, 2,500 years. Nevertheless, still checking my preferred news sources and their updates, still I wonder daily, isn't there any good news? This Sunday's part one Bible answer to that question is, Roger, read all of what Jeremiah says in that first reading today. Read past the lambasting to where he says these words to the shepherds that he actually never ever did quit lambasting, by the way. And hear him say this. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch." And he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Note that the good news Jeremiah preaches is not good that is good because it ignores what is evil. Oh my goodness, no. Jeremiah didn't see something he thought was evil. I don't think there was one ever that he shut up about. Rather, the good news that Jeremiah preaches is news that is so, by God, good. That it will triumph over evil. And it will do so, Jeremiah says, on that day when God will raise up a new and true and righteous shepherd over his flock. And no longer then will people look out in fear or look at their news feeds and be dismayed for what this shepherd does will be righteous. And what this shepherd says will be true. And he will reign in righteousness and truth for forever. The good news that comes from today's reading from Jeremiah is the good news that the kings of this world, all of them, for all their self-absorption and self-aggrandizement and self-attempts at righteousness are the kings of only their this-worldly kingdoms. But there is, too, a kingdom which is the kingdom of God, at work among us even now, but finally the kingdom that God will usher fully in. And all, when he does that, all the peoples and all the kings of this world's kinds of kingdoms will fall to their knees. The good news from Jeremiah today, in other words, is that if, you, if, if the things you see are moving you to despair, it's because you are only seeing the things you see. You are not seeing the things that God says one day will be seen. The good news part two for today comes from today's gospel reading. We're in another dismaying time for many. A time when the rich were richly rich and the poor were desperately poor. And when Roman legions brutally enforced Roman rule. And when local puppets of of foreign rulers, puppets like King Herod Antipas, murdered Prophets, like John the Baptist, in order to prove in front of their friends how strong they were into those dismaying times, came one who in today's text was approached by a teeming crowd of the poor and the dismayed. And says, Mark, he had compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd, but they would be so no more. For as Jesus would say elsewhere, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and I know my own know me and still elsewhere he will add and I am with you always. The good news part two from our text for today. You don't need to let the world's temporary and false shepherds, any of them to your left or your right, You don't need to let the world's temporary and false shepherds and the fear they seek to rule with define you. For yours is the good shepherd, whose compassion is for you, whose presence is with you, and whose healing peace which the world cannot give you is his gift to you. which takes us finally to today's reading from the book of ephesians where we find the good news part three which is that Mm -hmm. no matter what is going on around you these days jesus our true shepherd and king of the kingdom that is at work partially now and at last fully will be jesus here and now and ever leads his sheep fearlessly and faithfully and boldly, gracefully in the direction of that kingdom to come by leading us to be uniters when others are seeking to divide. In the time of Ephesians, the time of the early Christian church, there was yet again discouragement and dismay about the fact that there was deep division in the church. And the division then was, and I tell you, I am not making this up,
1: the division
0: then was the division between liberals and conservatives. Except the liberals in the church then weren't the Democratic Party and the conservatives weren't the Republican Party. The liberals in the church then were called the party of the uncircumcised. And the conservatives then were called the party of the circumcised. The difference between them sounding no doubt archaic to us, except that it isn't. For finally the difference between them was whether the church and the kingdom of God and the faith required that all people in some external way be the same or whether the church and the kingdom of God and the faith were larger than that. Ephesians answer, Christ's church is a place where all, differences and all, are not the same, they are one. Made so by the one, who makes us one by making us His. The one Ephesians is talking about, of course, is again the shepherd, who not from an isolated tower but from the isolation of a cross, not with vindictive rhetoric but with tender mercies, not with self-aggrandizement but self-sacrifice, would and did and does and will in the end fully make one all that sin and sinners have divided. So a week ago, and some of you know this, I gathered for my 35th annual golf outing with my longest standing friends in the world, including my, literally, my oldest friend in the world whose name is Verlin. We were next door neighbors as babies. The oldest scar I have on my body, Verlam gave me when we were two. I discovered at this year's golf that Verlin and I didn't vote for the same person for president I said I can't believe you voted for he said I can't believe you voted for I said you are such a loser and then he said you are and I cannot even tell you what he called me from a pulpit in a Lutheran church And then we finished golfing. We had a great time. He's my partner every year. We played our other two friends to a tie this year. No quarters were exchanged. And then it was time to say goodbye until next year. And as we did, we hugged. It was a guy hug, you know. And as we did, because we're we're guys who talk like this, as we hugged, I said, I love you, man. And then Verlin, because he's Verlin, this is how he talks. He looked at me and his eyes twinkled. And he said, whoa. (laughs) And if you speak Verlin... That you know, that woe means I love you too. Here's the thing about my lifelong friend Verlin and me. Bigger, way bigger, immeasurably bigger than any earthly thing that would divide us is what unites us because what unites us is love. And love's the biggest thing there is. So too, says Ephesians, writing not to Trump voters and Hillary voters in the church, but to the party of the uncircumcision and the party of the circumcision in the church, it says, Christ Jesus is our peace. For not with the flesh of either circumcision or uncircumcision, but in his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us, that he might create in himself one one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in whom you are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. What does a dwelling place for God look like this side of that great and final day when everyone will see what that looks like? I hear Ephesians saying that a dwelling place for God on this earth looks like, well, looks maybe at least just a little bit like Ferlin and me. A place where the higher things that unite us are oh so bigger than the earthly things that would divide. For what unites us even and precisely in our differences, not instead, what unites us in our differences is faith in God, hope for the future that is in God's hands, and until then, love. Love for God, love for one another, love for all, and in these oft divisive times love for all to hear and to know and to see when they hear and see and know us. Because why? Because people of God we are Christ the Shepherds Church. The Lord be with you. We pray again today's prayer of the day. O God, powerful and compassionate, you shepherd your people, faithfully feeding and protecting us. Heal each of us and make us a whole people that we may embody the justice and peace of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.